Welcome, Chevy, to 321. No kidding. I am honored to meet you. Oh, good. Thank you. You put, you put your um, app on there. So to kick us off, would you mind introducing yourself? Can you tell I'm very enthusiastic about this? this <laughs> well, right on. Uh, good. It's great to be enthusiastic in the morning. Uh, so, yeah, my name's Giuseppe, and I'm coming to you from uh, the Vancouver area in a community called New Westminster. We call it New West Recovery. And uh, it's one of Canada's largest uh, recovery communities. Lots and lots of uh, recovery coming out of here. Pretty proud of it. I, I work in a treatment center, does lots of uh, community engagement. And, and, and over the 40 year history of this organization, it's, it's kind of created this uh, recovery community uh, that's pretty vibrant. That's awesome. I feel like, was it the realm of the hungry ghosts? I feel like some of the scenes from that book were up there. Um, it's a recovery book. Am I thinking about this right? Maybe you're not. Yeah, I mean, that's about the downtown east side. Uh, The downtown east side is about a a 40 minute drive, 25 minute drive, actually, if you're in a hurry to get drugs. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, the downtown east side is 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 the what they, you know, unfortunately call the drug ghetto of Canada. And uh, it's uh, where drug use is uh, the norm. And uh, yeah, the doctor, Dr. Gabor Mate, I've never read the book. Um, the, I've, I've listened to his talks about it. We actually organized a conference where Dr. Gabor Mate was the speaker. Um, so um, it's it's his experiences in the downtown east side. That's beautiful. It, it, we're all connected, right? Yeah, so, somehow. So you work at a treatment center. Is it substance abuse only at your treatment center? No, Last Door is a pretty unique place. It's a nonprofit charity. Um, I was a client here a long time ago. Um, most, almost all the staff are former clients. Um, it's one of those old school kind of places. You know, if you want to get clean, you go to Last Door. It's a youth program, an adult program, and then we have a family program. Uh, which includes partners group, uh, parents group, co-parenting groups. It's the whole family. Uh, you know, we really believe you know, if your family's in your life um, and if your family's not in your life, how to get them in your life. And, and if it's healthy, it's a good choice. If it's not, then how do you cope with that? Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a grassroots organization. It also does private care as well. Uh, that's just the way the world is now. Um, so we get people from across the, can- across the country. We even get people from the States. Um, most of our American clients are people with gaming addictions because there's not a lot of services for gaming addictions. We are unique and, and just addiction is addiction. doesn't matter if it's porn, uh, video games, uh, crack, alcohol. We really break the idea that uh, there's different models of care. Uh, for certain types of treatments, uh, I mean addictions, um, because the feelings are the same. Well, we, we, I'm not a clinical person. I just get that uh, clear. I, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I, I'm, I'm the guy that gets all these people together. That's recovery day in uh, pre-COVID 2019. It's our 10th anniversary this year, and we're expecting double the size this year. We're actually closing another set of streets because they're going to give us a bigger floor plan this year. Um, so I'm the guy that kind of gets everyone together. Let's all get along. And I, I've got some, you know, visions on that. And, you know, when we started Recovery Day 10 years ago, we couldn't even get 
20 service providers to even set up next to each other. There's over 150 service providers at Recovery Day in 2019. Uh, that's a lot of work, uh, you know, trying to get people to stop working in these silos of healthcare. So, you know, I'll go back to the door. The door does what it does. We have no concept that everybody with a substance use disorder needs to come to last door that you know we're we're really 12 step heavy at last door not everybody needs to do that and and here's the thing that's okay go somewhere else you know we have this world where it's like you need to change your program it's like no we don't you know we need to offer more programs that's the argument and it's like you know, we, what we do, we do really good. And, and, and the proof is in the pudding. Not too many rehab centers can organize a recovery day like that. Not too many rehab centers can organize an alumni day where hundreds of people show up. And, and the idea of us having to change the fit, the status quo or the, the latest sexy Twitter hashtag, you know, um, is, is not, you know, what needs to happen, what needs to happen is we need to be able to provide all care and you choose. Do you want to go to a 12-step program? Do you want to go to a religious program? Do you want to go to a yoga program? Do you want to go to a CBT program? Addiction is such a complex um, issue that to just have this little box that everybody goes in is not the best way to treat it. It's not a, a, and it's not like I broke my arm. And I'm going to go to the hospital and there's really only one way to fix it. And, and that's the medicalization of addiction treatment. It's a dangerous place to go because you can't do that with addiction. You know, some people come to our program and they love us. Some people come to our program and they hate us. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know, like science, like try to logically make sense of that. Like this is my life. I use, I make X amount of dollars rents due tomorrow and i not only use all my money but like i go into debt that night and now you want me to figure out how to fix that in a logical way there's no logic you know we need to rebuild the spirit we need to build recovery capital we need to find out what my strengths are and what my barriers are and what's going to work today this might work and tomorrow it won't there's no logic in that it makes no sense and and so you know a long time ago our founders retired now, but long time ago, um, you know, there's the crystal meth ads that really come out. You know, this is you and your transition all the way to the mugshot. There's this big campaign, anti-stigma campaign to stop those ads because it stigmatized people that use crystal meth. And so they came and, and I was the, in the room during the a conversation with the reporter. And, and I just heard something that stuck with me. It's like, Yeah, for some people, those ads won't work because they're smoking crystal meth. Like that picture ain't going to do anything. But for some people, it would. So let's just do everything. Like we have to do everything to get to everyone. And and I strongly believe that. Like I, I, I'm not against any type of healthcare. Last door is not against any type of healthcare. But we're just there for for the opportunity that people have the right to choose their recovery path and you know 100,000 people are dead in the states you know 25,000 people are dead in Canada since 2017 since fentanyl really started to hit the market and we still haven't been able to figure out how to get out of it it's 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 crazy I had to take notes because you were unpacking so much freaking amazingness (laughs) right there 
Okay. First, um, going back to the beginning of what you just said, and thank you for sharing all of that with us. You said the family part. I loved how you called out that if your family's involved and it's healthy, you support that and, and work with clients on that. If, if the family's not involved or should be like, you didn't even put that in a box when you were talking about that. And you recognize that just because we have blood family, that it's the best thing for us. So I, I have to acknowledge that because I thought that that was quite brilliant. A couple, uh, literally, it's called BC Family Day. It was on the February 21st, I think. Um, you know, now that COVID's finally lifting, we're starting to do in-person events. We got asked to do a chosen family day because family day focuses so much on family. And uh, we partnered with Vancouver Pride Society and we had a, a family festival, but it was called Chosen Family. I mean, nothing against your blood family, but people in recovery, people in the LGBT community, we all have this chosen family that we rely on to get us through our tough times. Recovery is all about having a chosen family. And it's about who do you rely on support group, sponsor, step group, you call it what you want it, but it's it's family to us. You know, we talk about our chosen family so much. So we decided to celebrate that. And, and, and it was a beautiful event. And it was one of those things that we didn't know we had to do it. And then when we did it, we're like, oh, yeah, this is needed. Like, we need to celebrate our, cho- we need to acknowledge our chosen family. You know, some people you know, where I work, uh, you know, people are here for a long time. Some people come here for like a year sometimes. Their life has been so destroyed. People get divorced in treatment. You know, it's just like, let, let, we'll help you and, and st- you stay here so the divorce doesn't trigger you back into returned use. That's, that's a success. Like, like, how do we help your marriage? And how do we help you co-parent? And how do we, you know, help you end a relationship, which is really important. Like ending a relationship is, is a positive thing because it should end, you know? So how do you do that in a healthy way? And, and like, if you notice, we're not talking about drugs or alcohol, like that's, that's gone. Now we got to deal with everything else. You know, how do we, that, that's what recovery and treatment could should whatever word you want to use in there you know we're so focused on you know the addiction to the quick fix like we're addicted to i need to help you right now and this is just a concept i have we need to fix you right now i need to naloxone you and save your life i need to give you this script so i've done my job i can pat myself on the back i've helped you you know, I put up my little checklist so I can do a report and then I get a grant or I get accolades or I get more money or whatever the case may be. Because, look, I helped 100 people. I gave them this, 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 this. I mean, that's not how it works. Like, and then what they about leave. everything else? Then they you know? leave and they, they relapse or return to symptoms, right? Like 95% well, of them. Right. It's, 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 you know, I don't, I don't know. I I actually, that whole treatment slogan of 5% success rate and rehab. I mean, that's all just Twitter nonsense and, and research. And people will call me out for this, but if, you know, we have a youth program, if a kid goes to rehab, you know, at 15 years old, grows up, returns to use, isn't dead, didn't go to jail, finished high school, but is smoking or drinking, like that's a success. I don't care what anybody says. So everybody, like I go to conferences and we set up our booth and you get that, you know, anti-rehab person, what's your success rate? And you're like, I mean, give me my pen back and get 
get away from our booth? Like who, no one can answer that question. Last door can't, no one can, because success is in the eye of the person. Success isn't what I'm going to tell you what your success is. And that's why we really invested in the conversation of building up the awareness of recovery capital because recovery capital is all about better health. Yeah, abstinence is, is crucial for some people, but the idea of building your social capital, your human capital, your physical capital, your financial capital, your community capital, like that's the success. Like we took somebody who was living in a single room occupancy, bed bug infested, completely destroyed, no teeth. I'm talking like, like living hell and, you know, harm reduction communities are saying that this is a success because he's, you know, got his naloxone, he's got his condoms, he's got his needles, he's got his clean pipes. His, you know, that's a success in that world. And then he comes to rehab and we fix everything, new teeth, new hair, like everything's like he's, he's a dad again, he bought a gift and we rely the focus of success to be only on his sobriety. I mean, that's a ripoff. I mean, that's a complete ripoff. And so I'm really against any kind of conversation when it comes on Twitter and Facebook about this whole idea of relapse and everything. It's just stigmatizing the whole world. It's, it's like, okay, so all this stuff this person's done, disregard it. You know, because because somebody said, you know, this idea that 5% of people relapse after, you know, this and that and that. But what's success? You know, and that's what we really need to have a conversation about. And and recovery and, and 12-step recovery is, the, is the, the best form of harm reduction on the planet. I don't know anybody that isn't. I've, I've come back. You know, I, I didn't just go to treatment and stay clean. You know, and, and every time was a success and we cause a lot of harm. We cause a lot of harm. And, and, and that's, you know, I sit on stakeholder groups all the time and, you know, the harm reduction people are here. The abstinence people are here. The moms with kids that have died too soon are here and the politicians are here and everyone's fighting for money, fighting for space, fighting for popularity. It's, it's none of us are actually sitting together. You know, and it, and you know it's unfortunate, um, and and I've I've seen it and experienced it in and the way where we talk about person centered care, and it's like we need to meet people where they're at, and that's changed, especially in Canada. You know, there's like the substance use addiction program grant; it's a federal grant. You write the word recovery on there, you ain't getting any money, but you write the word harm reduction or smoke inhalation room or consumption site, like you've got a good chance of getting your money. And and so it it hasn't been meet people where they're at or person-centered care. It's actually turned more into grant-centered care. How can I write a grant so I can get money that politicians look good at, you know, that's, what's the, that's the grease in all this. And, and it's, it's, it's gotten so bad and so politicized that, um, you know, you, you, you can see it in the grant money. You can see it where the money's going. And, and I mean, I've applied for SUAP grants for our recovery events. So we, we get laughed out of the room. Um, and, and so this is, I've, I've met with the people that manage the grant, you know, that here's a little story. They told us, oh, if you want to change the, the grant 
to include recovery because they told us recovery initiatives are not part of the SUAP grant. You need to get parliamentarian support. And so we tried and we did motion. We did a motion in the House to try to get recovery to be uh, recognized as a recovery month official. The the states has it. And it got voted down. Like It was just like, who voted? Like they actually voted against having September recognized as recovery month. A lot of politics in this. A lot of politics, you know. Um it's unfortunate that there's a lot of politics on this. So building recovery capital, like I can, I can say, you know what, uh, you're, you're, you're building on your strengths and, and, and we improve people's health. How is this intervention going to improve people's health? But yeah, if you go like, oh, you need to stay sober for the rest of your life. And that's the only barometer for success. Well, yeah, there's going to be lots of issues with that. The fact that you did all this other stuff just gets thrown out the window. So I, I, I owe you uh, uh, some gratitude right there because you just framed it in a different way that for me, I can change my thinking about it. I think we're aligned in the, the outcome. Like I've heard those stats and those stats got me into thinking, like I told you before we started, I have my dream and my dream is based on the fact that I don't want people to go to treatment for 30 days get out because those check boxes are done and send them back to the situation that got them in that place in the first place. So the things that I want to do in the future are to help solve that problem or, or to make that better. And you just framed it in a better way. So my why is there, um, but really acknowledging that success and that the definition of success is different. I really need to make that part of my dialogue as well. So you just give me a mm-hmm. really big gift. I've evolved into, and, and when I started my show, it was, this is a gambling awareness show. And what ended up happening from talking to wonderful people like you and having an open mind and doing my own work, I realized it's not just, and, and I, you know, I teach 12 step kind of things on the show. Um, I've taught recovery Dharma, but the more exposure I get the more I try to share with my audience, because I've landed at, it isn't about one thing and every single person is different. So I love the commonality of it's addiction, the way you said it, or, you know, if that's the language that we choose to use, but recovery can be a lot of different pathways and a lot of different combinations too. Like I, I count on a bunch of different resources and the fact that you called it uh, I call it a bucket is the way I de- define it when I'm talking to my audience. It's, you know, about storing all the positive stuff. So you're kind of like got your armor on for when the shit happens and you need it to avoid, you know, relapsing or destructive behavior. But recovery capital is just such a beautiful way. It puts everything in one place without yeah. being directive. It's, it's, you know, uh, it's actually person centered. Like I'm going, there's not one pathway to build recovery cap, pa- capital. It's, it's everything, you know, it, it's absolutely everything. Medication, uh, harm reduction, abstinence, recovery, meditation, you know, all those things combined will get you with dignity to better health. And giving the person an opportunity, but we're not there yet because 
first of all, we have a two-tiered healthcare system. If you're rich, you get to pretty much choose where you go. And, and, and most people will go to an abstinence-based program. Um, because people want to get clean because they have enough capital in their life, you know, um, they have enough consequences in life, you know, to make that decision. But if you're poor or you're um, unfortunately in a, a woman in the downtown east side sex worker, you know, you ask for help. On Tuesday, you're going to be given harm reduction, safe supply, prescription drugs, medication, higher doses of oat. Um, if you say, hey, I want to stop using, go to detox right now, it ain't going to happen. Like it's going to wait in line, get in line. You need to be on this for the rest of your life. But Why? why is the you know it's the same condition why are there two different treatment models and i like to use this scenario if that woman the the sex worker walks into the consumption site and has a moment of like hey i want to stop using right now and i want to get clean and sober the chances of that happening are so small so small you know um for example, a woman I know who's in recovery um, is in her late 50s. She spent most of her life as a sex worker, spent most of her life um, in jail, and she got clean late. And the reason why she got clean is she met people in 12-step recovery that would do panels in her jail. So she got rescued and inspired in jail. And I like to use the word rescued because the healthcare industry did not carry her. <laughs> you know, it was people in recovery. And so now she's in recovery. She went to school. She got an education and she started working in the downtown east side for an agency that helps marginalized women with HIV. And, and in walks one of her friends that she met in jail, a hundred pounds, soaking wet, um, full blown AIDS dying and uh, she went to her gave her a hug tears and she shared this story with me you know with so much sadness gave her a hug and all that and she's like hey you know what i'm off at six you know why don't i take you to a meeting she got reprimanded and told don't ever do that again you're not allowed to encourage any type of that it has you can only give them what they ask for she quit the next day. Um, and like, that's the story. So now let's go back to that sex worker asking for help. Get in line, wait in line. You know what? Like, here's the box in here, safe supply. Here's a pipe, you know, all that stuff. Now the doctor or the nurse that works in that consumption site, and this is a fact, you know, I can't say names. He, he has a heroin addiction that he finally gets caught at work guess what happens to him same addiction he goes to a private treatment center and gets clean within a month he's clean like he's like within days he's at the treatment center you know there's no way there's nothing so anybody that says that we're in a fentanyl crisis or we're in you know this accidental overdose crisis that's not the crisis that's just the noise 
The actual crisis is the fact that we treat people differently and that we are going to stigmatize you. You're a drug addict. You're never going to get well. You're just a prostitute. Here's your medication. Here's your SRO. You, you're a doctor. We're going to get you clean. And, and the fact that nobody other than a few of us in this crowd are screaming that saying that's the actual crisis. Like, like that woman should deserve the same care as that guy does. The doctor does. And, and until that happens, we're never going to get rid of this drug crisis, addiction crisis we got going on in North America. Cause as an addict, you know, I'm like, I know what my worth is. And when I know I'm not the same worth as the person that's giving me healthcare is like that's stigma. Um, that's the worst form of stigma. And, and, and we're creating it. <laughs> we're creating it every day. It, it hurts my heart. It, it's, it's validating so many things in my mind, but it hurts my heart to hear it explain the way you're doing and you're explaining it beautifully for me and the audience and you're calling out the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. And when you're telling that story, the lady who gave the hug was acting with her heart. Mm -hmm. And she got reprimanded. If, if the world, like not even just the country, but just people in general started acting with their heart, what would all of this look like compared to how it looks now? Right. It's just, Mm -hmm. But and, you know what fed all that? You know what feeds all that? This I these Twitter hashtags. Oh, abstinence recovery kills. Oh, abstinence recovery has a two percent success rate. Oh, abstinence recovery is stigmatizing because they use the word addict. Ooh, you know, like like that's what feeds that policy. Like that that. And the, it's not that they're bad people. It's this organization believes all that. And and that creates the policy. Let's just meet them where they're at. But that's not the sentence. It's meet them where they're at and carry them forward. It's not just meeting them there and 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 not helping them get to the next place. And and that's where that policy comes from. That's why I get really you know loud about you know we can't say things like this because this is the ripple effect. And I call it real world. There's these boardrooms that come up with all these policies with their beautiful balloon charts and everyone's drinking coffee and eating donuts and shitty muffins. And they're all coming up with these wonderful policies, but real world. You know, no one at this agency is going to admit that they don't help people get wraparound services and, and help them move on to better help. Every organization's AGM annual report is going to say they do that. But what happens is, is in real world with real people, you get these two advocates, one for recovery, you have the right to recover and one, you know, social justice warrior we're going to meet you where you're at we're not going to you know push you to do anything and it gets people get lost in all that people get lost i say all the time like people ask me you know what what do i do and and you know what are my dreams kind of stuff is is a dialogue and i'm like i have to get powerful and influential enough to help change this stuff because politics will never fix it, it like it's gonna, in my mind, it has to come from not the grants and stuff, from the private, from getting everybody united, the way you said it. I, I don't know, I'm imagining you must see this as well 
and we got to talk about the app too before we run out of time because it's pretty cool. It's pretty slick. Um, if could you imagine if all of us across all the addictions, to your point, not just you know the AA guys or just the NA guys or the GA guys or whatever, if we actually all pulled all of us advocates pulled our resources and like got on a call together and and really made that power, like we can freaking change the world. Yeah. And meeting somebody like you just warms my heart. And I mean, it makes me sad that it's going on, but it also makes me just grateful that you're out there fighting the fight for these people. We need to recover out loud. And when we, so back in 2007, you know, I was in rehab, 2006, 2007, maybe I can't remember now. And, uh, you know, it was a transitional living and went to Pride Day. We went to the parade. And then after the parade, it was just like, now what? And everything was in a beer garden, everything. And so uh, we had to go home because we couldn't really go to the parties. And I remember, you know, I was with a couple of uh, treatment friends and, uh, you know, we, we felt like pff, losers, you know, we're like, oh, my God, you know, like uh, pride, we can't never go to pride again. You know, it just felt like we lost a piece of our identity there. And um, thankfully, I got clean at last door where it's like, what's the solution? How are you going to make it better? Don't be a victim. And so the next year, we decided to put a little tiny float in the parade. And uh, and we had no name, no idea, no nothing. We just like, let's do something, you know. And uh, nine people agreed to be on this float that said drug free something like it was just it was so i i mean i got a picture of it it's just the most adorable ugly looking float right because <laughs> we had no money no nothing something happened though and it just like sparked us and the following year we created a committee it got called clean sober and proud and uh, we threw a sober dance a clean and sober dance and uh, we didn't want it 12 step because we didn't want it to be exclusive to just people in, in those communities. It was, it was just its own thing. Nobody wanted to go. Nobody. We had like 80 people. And uh, for the most part, I leave town during pride because it's too triggery. Um, I don't want anyone to know I'm sober. I don't want anyone to know I had a drug problem. I don't want anyone to know I'm clean. I don't want anyone to see me. Somebody wore a mask before masks were cool to the event because they didn't want anyone to see them. And I was just like, it did something to me. I was just like, this is crazy. Like, like we just survived something so amazing and, and we're not telling people. And, and people were cloaked in the anonymity clause. Anonymity doesn't mean be invisible. For me, in a very quick way, anonymity means don't take all the credit. Like it ain't you, but it doesn't mean be invisible with your story. And I think that the people think that that's what it means. It doesn't. And if you think it does, that's cool. But for us, it doesn't. And so is we just kept going. We just kept going. And then recovery day kind of started. And, you know, we had some people couldn't even get 20 booths there because who's going to be there? Is this abstinence? Is this a Jesus? You know, it's just so many arguments just kept going. And now our pride event, we have a festival called Intoxicated. It's one of the premier events during Vancouver Pride Week. It's in the heart of the ghetto, the gay ghetto. And it's like 
you don't know who's clean, who's sober, who's there just for fun. It's become like this huge party, you know, and it's, 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 it's re um what's the word i'm looking for everyone has a new identity they've reclaimed their pride and and they're not worried if somebody sees them in the gates of intoxicated because it's actually cool to go there that took like a long time to get recovery day same thing over it was five thousand then it was ten thousand and a lot of people was like oh people are going to see me there now you know we've removed the stigma about being in recovery and it's taken over a decade and more will be revealed. It's just, you just got to keep doing the next right thing. I mean, everyone talks about the stigma of addiction. It's the stigma of recovery. I mean, people get clean and they disappear. Why? You know what I mean? I don't want anyone to like treat me differently at Christmas because they, they know I'm sober and, you know, we don't having that conversation. And, and a lot of what this does is it helps create a healthy community. And that's the community capital piece that we were kind of touching on earlier. It's okay. It's okay to not drink. It's like, it's actually possible. So when you've got Twitter saying, oh, only 5% people success, or oh, you got all these people read that and they, they start to believe it. When I showed up to rehab, I Googled, you know, recovery cults because I had seen all this bad messaging in the press, you know, I want people to see this. You know, one of our drivers for Clean Sober Proud was the idea when I went to Pride when I was 16 years old in Toronto, I just saw beer, drugs, sex. I didn't see anything else. I mean, I could have looked, but I didn't see. So when we were able to go on Davy Street and have a huge banner that says Clean, Sober, and Proud, our dream came true. Some 16-year-old kid walking down the street just saw the message. It was just like, oh, what's that? You know what I mean? In the middle of all the vodka ads and all that. And, and worth all the work. Worth all the work. It's, it's incredible to me to hear that. That's disturbing, right? Like the fact that even pride and that communities had a fight to get to pride and to get to people to be that open-minded to hear you. And I've never thought of it this way. I'm learning so much from you. So thank you. But I've never thought of, of shame in recovery, right? Oh, like we think of shame. shame and addiction. I never thought of it that way. I've, I'm always advocating for transparency because it's healing, right? Like whether it's your job or public or the parties or whatever, I believe it's healing to do that, to share that, to let people know it's okay. But I hadn't never thought of it, recognized it as a problem. Oh, you know, you have your dad and son. You're telling me I can never go to a hockey game with my son and have a beer again? Mm. Like, how do you answer that question? You're like 20,000 dead people. I, I don't know. You want to take a chance? You know, and there's a lot of therapy that goes on with that. And, and but like that's that, you know, because there's no messaging. There's no government. There's no government recovery oriented response to our current overdose crisis. The province of Alberta in Canada is, start, is starting to make lots of headway in that conversation. But, you know, when you're when you don't have a recovery oriented response, what what is your response? So can you imagine cancer treatments not having a goal of remission? Like, just imagine that idea. 
So we're going to do all this palliative care for cancer, but the goal of remission is just, no, I mean, it's, it's not possible. Only 2% of people recover from cancer. So we're going to stop all attempts for remission. It's, it's crazy talk, but, but that's how it. we talk about recovery. Oh, only 2%. So let's just give them pipes and safe supply. So you're saying Again, though I, that when you get to remission you're not even allowed to talk about it or be excited you're or not even allowed to talk about it yeah i mean you can't go to your union rep real talk not boardroom talk you work on a job site you can't go to your union and tell them that you're in recovery because they're going to think you're going to relapse and you're not a safe employee and we're not going to promote you i mean that's what my sponsee said he works for the, one of the biggest companies in in the lower mainland and uh, he he's has a union and he's like i'm never going to tell them i'm in recovery because i won't get promoted that's real talk all these safety sensitive conferences and all these conversations you know about healthcare i mean that's what really happens because recovery is not encouraged it's 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 unbelievable look at all the policies and procedure books you know um you to look at health canada's response to the overdose crisis the word recovery is hardly even in the manual we even told them i remember writing to them and saying you know it's on page 60 or something like that like it was it was at why is it not on page one (laughs) that's all they gotta ask (laughs) wow Okay, so I don't want to run out of time. I want you to share a little about the app. I've downloaded it and snooped a little bit. And now I really understand why it's set up the way it is after talking to you. So So we didn't want to create a Facebook for people in recovery. It's got that feature, like you can post and like and love and comment and all that stuff. The One of the main reasons we wanted to create a better app too and improvement is we people people are in recovery and sometimes they relapse and 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 there's these silos where it's like if you're using and you're in harm reduction you're here but if you're in abstinence-based recovery you're here and and if you're in and smart you're there we wanted to put everybody in one space and i'll, I'll share a quick example you know uh, uh, there was a, a friend of mine a younger kid um who returned to use and and had that real feeling like i'm being uh, talked about no one likes me I don't know who my friends are and uh, and some of that is real because people do talk about people we're humans but the uh, the other piece because I've experienced this is some of it's psychosis like I was high and and I thought people were you know talking about me and so I went to meetings I left meetings early like I just didn't feel welcomed and um and so we did an intervention on this kid you know we took him out for breakfast hey we're still your friends like you're still like come to the meetings come to the home group like you know like we you know like let's support you and and he ended up dying like the next day of an overdose and i just thought to myself like if i would have had a tool to say hey if you're going to use let me know and i'll be your digital spotter and so you never have to use alone and no judgment just so you tap on the phone, you add your safety net contact. It could be a volunteer or somebody you know. They have to be in your calling area, your sponsees. So they, they feel like they're always still part of your recovery bubble, you know, and, and maybe you, you've decided to use again. Okay, I still love you. I'm not happy, and that's okay. I don't have to be happy, but I can still love you, um, and I still support you, and I don't want you to use alone. I'll be your safety net. And so that you, before you use, you tap on the on the clock. You have two minutes. 
if you don't shut your alarm off, there's a potential unconscious person there. Um, you get an alert and you know the person's address. You can dial 911. So it could work anywhere around the world. If you have a loved one in your basement, you know, you don't want to be checking up on them all the time, you know, because that happens in real world. Um, you know what, son or daughter, just use this app. And if I hear the alarm, I'll come down and I'll naloxone you. And, 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 and so we just want to take that. Say, is it going to cure? No, I'm not one that thinks there's any cure for addiction. This is just a tool to add to the many tools out there. And with that, there's a support for people in recovery. Um, you can stream meetings live so you can get rid of Zoom codes. There's recovery capital assessments. There's groups. There's all these social media things, sober roommates. So if you leave treatment, like you can put on your places for rent to find sober roommates. All these neat features. Um, uh, the safety net one is dear to my heart because I'll be honest with you, Bobby, like, I I can't even count how many people I know that have died, you know, and I grew up during the AIDS crisis, like, this is nothing compared to that, you know, Um, I mean, that is nothing compared to this, Uh, like, I can't even count, like, I'd lose count after 100, and um, it's not that recovery doesn't work, it's not that, you know what I mean, I don't want to get into that argument, Um, there's a lot of reasons why they're dead. Um, fentanyl is one of them. Um, but I just think how many of them would be alive today if I would have been their safety net. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of pausing one of my, you know, dear friends, lifetime friends just lost her niece at 25. And I, I have to wonder if an app like that would have made a difference. And it sounds like it would have. So it's, important. I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Ooh, sorry. Uh, that one really hit a chord. Um, well, the reason why we went this route is the reality is, is there's, there aren't these types of interventions in all the states and all the provinces in Canada because of ambulance unions. And, and so, so some places have direct links to the uh, ambulance but it's not easy to do that because you have all these regulations and you have all these, you know, just there's so much bureaucracy that these projects aren't, you know, COVID, we're able to shut the world down. But for overdoses, we can't even figure out how to ensure somebody has access to services. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's just, you know, that's the, so we decided, you know what, let's just do this. And this is putting the power back into people. You know, it's always most of the times and no one's ever done the research, but most people find recovery by accident or by people helping people. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and we're just going to use that same spirit to do that with overdoses, people helping people survive them. Wow. Giuseppe, thank you so much. I think I have so many takeaways from this conversation. The one, like the biggest one for me that you represent and that I I love about this is the open-minded. Even if it wasn't in your philosophy, you acknowledged it and was like, that's okay. And and that is a, a value that is truly important to me. And I think it's one that we could all use. Um, taking away that that judgment or the black and whiteness of it all because it's not black and white it's 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 so colorful look how colorful that is (laughs) beautiful it's so color i mean 
yeah. go to that crowd and tell those people, you know, that, hey, recovery is not possible. You need to be on medication for the rest of your life, you know, no matter what. And 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 you have this disability forever. And it's complicated because there's even a problem with me saying that because, yes, yeah, some people need to be on medication for the rest of their life. But it's... In Portugal, and I know this is a totally different topic, in Portugal, there's no financial gain to a physician to keep you on medication forever. And I'm not saying the physicians are dirty here in North America, but there's a lot of money being made on prescribing medications. I'm talking a lot of money. Yeah. So... Like, where's the greed? An abstinence-based program tries to get you clean and sober and off the system in three to six months. You know, we have doctors here in the lower mainland that are saying, hey, you're my patient for the rest of your life. Dr. Christy Sutherland, Dr. Daly, they're the head physicians in addiction NBC. They're quoted, quoted. Every opiate addict needs to be on opiate replacement therapy for the rest of their lives if they plan on living a life that's worth living. Little bit of probably misread that quote, but that's what it says. Scary, <laughs> scary stuff. Yeah, Ugh. that's bad because that's not true. And these doctors are making way more money than I am. <laughs> so. Sebi, would you be open to us doing this again in the future? Like, I don't think an hour, I don't think a lifetime is enough to pull out everything that you have to share. Um, we only talked about half of it. <laughs> I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I really would love to do this again. Yeah, Maybe you. we could talk about one day I'm doing a movie called crisis and it's about the um, uh, Swiss and Portuguese models and how we're implementing snippets of their models, but not their full models and still calling it evidence-based. Um, you know, we'll leave you on a little cliffhanger. You pull out a joint in Portugal, in Lisbon, and I've been there and I filmed there. You can't even get somebody to smoke a joint in public on the streets of Lisbon. Wow. And that's a country with decriminalization. So there's a lot to unpack there. So maybe yeah. we can talk about that later. Would love that. Would love that. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being here. Um, everybody, you need to check out this app. You know, it's it's available everywhere, a regular app. Yeah, so you go to uh, betterapp.ca or you search for Better My Recovery app in your Play Store or App Store. It's free to download. Nothing. There's no in-app purchases or anything. Completely free. We, we got a great grant from uh, TELUS uh, to help uh, build this and so forth. And uh, we've done some other fundraising events to help uh, uh, pay for it. So that's why it's free. And uh, last store is a charity. Um, if you want to donate to help the app get improved, you can always go to our website too, lastdoor.org, and uh, get information about our programs and how to donate to support all this insanity. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much, Giuseppe. I'm really grateful for you being here today. And yeah, we'll we'll set up something and talk about crisis. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much. You have a great day. And uh, uh, you know what? Recovery out loud. Recovery out loud. Take care. 